Welcome to Devil 7, Episode 109. Daredevil, Season 1, Episode 8, Shadows in the Glass. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Welcome, fe- fellow agents. Agent Daniel here, and I'm not alone. I'm here with Ben. Ben Avery, you are not alone. I am here with you. So Sitting in separate rooms. Yes. Staring at computer screens. Uh, and a microphone and a pop screen. Hey, you know what today feels like, but I want to talk about? It feels about? like Tuesday. No, it feels like gifts. Today's a gay of gifts. Gifts and giving. You know, you know what I mean? Because um, I came home today and I, I got a huge I... surprise because a friend had sent me a book that I really, really wanted. I didn't even know. I was completely out of the blue. I got the same book in the mail. I bet it's for from you. the same friend. <laughs> for you, it may not have been a gift. No, um, although it did have a little slip that said a gift from Ben Avery. Wow, Enjoy your gift. A... Seems... Do you do that to all your books? No, no. It's just when I placed the order for two books and then said that it's a gift. They're both gifts. Interesting. Well, thank you very much, Ben Avery. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then I went to uh, lacrosse into the season picnic for my fabulous lacrosse team. And I got some gifts there, including a big old heavy thermos that in Daredevil would be used to bludgeon someone to death. Probably. (laughs) And then I feel like. The gift of shadows in the glass. I can't contain it. I feel like I'm spoilers. I feel like everyone knows what my billy clubs are already. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to hear that. But we're gonna have to wait till the final verdict. We still have, and, and I promise this time to do everything correctly. Okay. Except for those things that we don't. Except for the things that we don't. But uh, we have opening statements to make. We have the case evidence to hear. We have some witness testimony from Agent Evan. And then finally, we have our final verdict where we'll give those billy clubs out. We don't have any news really today. Um, well, we have been recording a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And we probably don't want to talk about the fact that, you know, maybe the Fantastic Four sequel is going to get pushed off and Dare, uh, D- Deadpool's going to probably get a sequel just based off trailers so because <laughs> how sad is that situation that fox is basically going to look at a sequel for something based on the reception to a trailer because the reception to their movie was so bad yeah as a deadpool fan even i i'm gonna say this ben don't don't hold this against me i won't i'm a deadpool fan a deadpool movie has the potential to be horrible I think it has a very, very high potential to be horrible. Yeah. Deadpool is something that you have to handle correctly, and not everybody gets it. Although, I think you could probably say the same thing about a lot of different things. Like, I don't know, maybe, for example, you could maybe perhaps cite Fantastic Four as something that could make a fantastic movie, 
if you just knew what you were doing with it and understood it. And so this is where, you know, you and I agree, Daniel. There are always possibilities. And one of those possibilities in my mind is that Daredevil, I mean, not Daredevil, Deadpool could be a, an awful, awful movie. I'm glad to hear that it's in your mind too, although I doubt that when you and I go and see Deadpool, we'll be seeing the same movie. Uh, with Fantastic Four, I'm glad we went to the same one. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's time for us just to move on, jump into this. Uh, this let's, is let's a go to lean, good things, good things, lean now. episode, and there's a lot to talk about, but at the same time, not a whole lot going on. So let's let's make this happen here. Opening statements. All right, Daniel. So we have two messages in our voicemail box. One is from past Ben. One is from past Daniel. And these are our messages to our future selves uh, directly after listening or watching the Daredevil episodes on Netflix so that we could get that instant reaction where as the conversation we're about to have is not an instant reaction. It is something we've seen these episodes twice at least and have seen the whole series now as well. When we left these messages, we hadn't seen the whole series yet. And you can tell because of some pretty stupid predictions that past Ben made. You and him just do not get along. He's an idiot. He's well, a I'm glad you said it. Fool. I, yeah. If I ever met him, I don't even know if I would even be able to talk to him. You know what the great thing is for me? What's the great thing for you? I'm pretty sure that me and past Daniel are on the same same page I when it comes to today with, i agree with past ben about a lot of things but the dude's a fool you know what i'm saying and i pity the fool so hey let's listen to one of us uh again because the way the files save uh and because i don't listen to them ahead of time i'm not sure which of these files is going to be me and which is going to be you so i'm just going to hit one and we'll we'll hear what it is you ready i'll take that as a yes Yes, okay. I, I thought you'd just jump into it. I didn't know, I didn't know you needed permission. Hey, Daniel. <clears throat> Hello, future me. Uh, it's Ben calling back about uh, episode eight, Shadows in the Glass. And wow, I mean, I'd say it keeps getting better, but it's pretty much maintained a pretty high standard of quality. So no, not getting better, just maintaining the same high standard of quality. I'm really liking this i mean yeah it's violent and yeah there's language that is a little more than i would prefer but um it's only felt gratuitous a couple times with the language uh pretty pretty much feeling uh like it fits other times anyway um <clears throat> so much is revealed in this episode so much about kingpin and everything like that i'm just going to say right now that as much as it gets revealed about his background it's revealing more and more what I was expecting to see once this, once we started seeing Kingpin, and that is that Daredevil and Kingpin, two sides of the same coin. They've both been shaped by father figures who uh, really pushed them to become what they became. Um, and they're both in the shadows. They're both in dark, um, in, in the darkness, uh, different kinds of darkness and you know, and they both are trying to get what's best for the city. Um, and that means getting rid of the other one in order to do so. 
uh, it's just, man, there's a lot here. Um, and I know you're going to discuss it, but um, the, the, the writing here, uh, I'm not sure. Again, I have a look to see who was writing this, this last episode. I know Drew Goddard has not written all of them. He wrote a lot of the beginning ones, though, and um, he set the tone, but, but the other writers have really carried the ball as well. And just feels like a nice, good, cohesive whole. Hey, speaking of, of writing, did you meet your deadline for that, that project we were working on when I was me and you weren't me yet? And now you're you, so I'm asking, I guess, did you make it or not? Because I really hope that we really needed the, the money. And that state taxes, man, they took a lot out of us. I mean, it's like the state doesn't want you to do freelance. I, I'm on a tangent, sorry. Uh, back to the actual discussion. One more thing to say, and that is Owlman, Gladiator, Whirlwind, and Stiltman. I can't believe um, <laughs> I got as much as I did. I heard that there was some, you know, little Easter eggs, um, and they're all right there in that one room. Uh, and I think that's meant to be a whirlwind Easter egg with all those saw blades. But anyway, um, I think that's what I saw. So this is me signing off then. Uh, talk to you later, Daniel. Future me, I'll be seeing you. Well, that was one of the least awkward calls to yourself. Yeah, you got kind of personal there with information. Uh, you can tell, though. When did you make the deadline, Ben? I did make the deadline. I made a deadline. Phew. And, uh, yeah, but that was tax season when I left that message, apparently. It, was it, has it been that long since, since Daredevil you, came out? Yes, it has. April. Wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Right on. Okay. Um, well, are you ready for yourself then? Yeah, I'm ready to be wowed by me. <laughs> I am also ready to be wowed by you. Agent Daniel, Daredevil, Episode 8, Shadows in the Glass. I know a lot of people talk about Stick, and how Stick was a, a big moment, turning point. Uh, the time where it really confirmed, hey, this is a good show. I'm going to be honest. This is it for me. This is the episode. This Wilson Fisk-centered show, all about his backstory, his history, giving us an understanding of how he became the villain he is. In many ways, even at times, creating a sympathetic kingpin. I can't even believe I'm saying that. A sympathetic kingpin. A conflicted kingpin. A kingpin who is more than just, well, I'm evil. I enjoyed this to no end from the, from the painting and its significance, uh, to his, uh, cufflinks. Um, wow. Incredible. And then to hear Ben Urich's voiceover as he's typing his article and have Wilson step out into the light. This is just a Wesley. Thinking he knows what Wilson needs, even when Wilson doesn't. I just, I loved this episode. This is the episode for me that if, if at the end I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm fully on board with Daredevil, this is the episode that made it official. So, uh, I'm a hot mess. Peace out later. Bye. Be safe, kids. Make good choices. There you have it. 
I feel like we can just wrap the episode up. I almost feel like we could. Almost. But not quite. Go to Billy Clubs? Uh, no, no, not not going to Billy Clubs. Uh, we 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 have we have stuff to talk about here. I, I I could have some surprises when it comes to Billy Clubs. I I you you could, but we're gonna wait. Okay, we're going to wait. Okay, because we've we've got stuff to talk about, Daniel. We've got man, past Daniel, focus. smart. Yeah, focus. focus. Okay, focus. We're gonna move ahead. Okay. You know, don't let go of what we've attained so far, but let's push Ooh, forward. Squirrel. All right, you ready? Yep, let's All do right. it. Case evidence. Oh, man. You got to stop being so impressed with yourself. And just. It's not, it's not me that I'm super impressed with at the moment. It is honestly shadows in the glass. I mean. I love this episode. It's a good love episode. It. It's a good episode. It's outstanding. Here's the thing. You know, I, I've already been on board heavily, heavily on board before this episode. And like I said in my message, you know, for me, this is just maintaining the level of quality. We are just on this kind of straight, flat path that is just a really great path. And instead of, you know, having ups and downs, you know, like, I mean, let's face it. First season of shield, first season of any show, first season of any show, you're going to have ups and downs as they're trying to figure out what things are here. We have this concentrated grouping of episodes, this season one, and it's just this maintained level of consistent quality. And, there is not much fighty fighty in this episode. Uh, I, no, there, there, I don't think there's any choreographed fight in this nope. episode. Nope. There, there's a lot of talky talky. It's a battle of the minds. It's, I don't even know if it's a battle of the minds, really. Who's battling with their mind? Well, bring Wilson Fisk out into the light. Yeah. But yeah. he does it first. Yeah, I mean, that's our that's our climax, though. Our climax is a dude wrote an editorial and had to delete it because another dude put on a, pe- a press conference. Man. You know? And our episode starts out, and it's just a dude waking up, making breakfast, getting dressed, and turning off the light. But so much significance to all that. He does it three times. He does it three times. And it doesn't ever, to me, I mean, it, it doesn't ever feel like we are getting repetitive. The intention is to show you that it's repetitive. That opening scene, you get the impression this is routine. This is his routine. He does this every morning. Wakes up before the sun, which is, there's some good productivity things going on here with him. Uh, He takes pride in the small things that he's doing. He wants, you know, a well-made omelet. Is that what he's making? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't eat omelets, so I'm looking at that and thinking, I think that's an omelet. It's handcrafted. And and he's taking pride in it. Not having having a cook do it for him? No. He can afford the staff. He doesn't need to do this himself. Well. But he does do it himself. Maybe he does need to do it himself because there is the idea that this is him 
off kind of in hiding almost when Madame Gao comes and says, I found you. It's his bat cave. It is. It is. But it, but again, there's still people and staff who know where he lives. Right. I mean, Wesley knows exactly where he's at. You you can't tell me that he could, you know, have a chef left on staff, someone used to waking up early in the morning when he wakes up from his nightmares. You can pay for things like this when you're Wilson Fisk. You can. So he wakes up, and what's the first thing he looks at? He wasn't lying when he said that he hung it up on the wall by his bed. So it's the first thing he sees when he wakes up. There it is, rabbit in the snowstorm. It is right there. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking to yourself, why rabbit in the snowstorm? Why does this even matter? Why do we? Why is this being brought back to us? Well, Other than to say he didn't lie to her. In my first viewing my first set of notes about this, there was the idea that he didn't lie to her. There's the idea that, okay, he wakes up and the first thing he sees is something that reminds him of her. And I wrote down so much gray in the painting and so much gray in his life. Uh, And there's all these shades of gray going on in his morning routine as he's selecting his clothing and all that kind of things. But it's this dark gray, but the painting is light gray. So he's wearing a dark bathrobe. He's or he's he puts on a dark suit, but he wakes up and his eyes open to this light gray. The rabbits in the snowstorm, and so I'm thinking it's just something metaphorical that she has brought a bit of of light into his life. No, I, didn't I was think of it absolutely at that at all. Well, I was absolutely wrong about the intention there. I don't think I'm wrong about the framing. I don't think I'm wrong about the color and how they're using this color thing. Because with her, what's she wearing when she comes to visit him? White. White. She's wearing white. And the next morning, what does she do? Light. She lightens his wardrobe. So he's and when you look look at the suits he's even considering, they're all black. Yeah. The ones he fingers are all dark. And then what's that final thing that happens? She is by his side as he puts himself out into the light and comes out of the shadows. And so my original thought about her bringing light into his dreary, solitary existence, it's a metaphorical truth for this episode, but that wasn't the real deep significance of of the painting and what drew him to the painting in the first place. But yeah, so this opening scene, no, no real words at all, but there's so much stuff to it. And there's so much, so much emotion, so much being communicated about Wilson. Yes. Solitary. You get the sense this has happened before. This is his routine. Again, he can afford a staff. He wants to be left alone. We we do find out later this is his castle. This is his castle where he hides. Yeah, he has literally chosen to seclude himself. Now, the other thing, this routine gets interrupted the second time we see it. And it's interrupted by a phone call with Madame Gao coming. Um, that interruption, though, is an inconvenience. The interruption that happens the third time we see this is that he wakes up, looks and sees the painting, and then 
rolls over and she's there. Completely changing his routine. Yeah. Uh, and you get this, you, you get this feeling from him as he's sitting down to eat the omelet. You know, he's, uh, what do I do with myself here? Uh, he, he, he's, it's almost he's thrown. Cause when you, I know we're jumping ahead, but again, talking about him being a solitary man, a man of routines. And I, and I think it's fair to say, again, three progressions. He's a man of routines. He's had this nightmare before. He's chosen the dark suit before. He chooses these cufflinks every day. Mm-hmm. And when you bring up that scene, she is reaching across his stuff. And he's got this, this like, uh, 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 and it's like, does, does he lash because she's in his space? Does uh, or does he does he is he feeling just off because she's interfering with that routine? This isn't he something he's ever shared with yeah, anyone. He doesn't know what to think. He doesn't know exactly what to do. Because here's the other thing that I see kind of throughout here with him. He, for Wilson, control is important. Absolutely. And, and there's good reason why. Yeah, I and think we, we've we seen get when that he's in the not in control, he's violent. Right. And so when things happen that put him in situations where he's not in control, what options does he have? Well, to lash out is what ends up happening. And so her sitting at just that simple her sitting at the table. uh, First of all, it brings life to a lifeless routine for him. You know, she's got she sits down. She's kind of doing her, you know her wet hair and, and, and she's, she's got, she's moving, she's bringing this vitality to his routine, but then it's throwing him completely. And how does he react? He is not in control. He doesn't know what to do. And it's a good thing here though. Whereas with Madame Gao, who said you're getting sloppy and emotional. That's one interesting twist here is that the uh, maybe not the sloppiness but the emotion that he has i think belongs to to her and so as as she's coming in and breaking up the routine she's doing a lot she is almost reforming him not reforming him but reforming him different cufflinks different suit different then, statement yeah and then standing by his side, share your vision as they come out of the shadows. She's right there by his side. You know, liberate yourself and share your vision. I mean, Ben, I I'll be honest. I've had a vision about something and for a while it was by, it was me. And then it was somebody else with me. And, And recently about two weeks ago, I had a meeting where I shared the vision and got to tell the history of the vision and it's such a liberating thing, but at the same time, it's like I'm giving, I'm giving up control of what I want to see happen. Mm-hmm. Because before I could just rely on me, I was in control. But now I'm inviting you into this thing, and you may not do this the way that I want it done. So I mean, it's it's a very weird and at the same time liberating because you know he, you know he doesn't have to have the burden of being alone. And here's the other thing but that it, happens uh, with him n- not having to be alone is I wonder if he has even ever told Wesley the stuff he's telling her as she comes in and she's making a joke about the table and he's he's angry 
but he doesn't want to lash out against her uh, physically. But she says, you promised you would always be honest with me. So now you're going to tell me stuff, you know, and he's, uh, I don't want to tell you because I, I'm worried about what you might think about what I have to tell you, what you might think about me after I reveal to you this thing. Well, but you, she, you bring up Wesley. she has gotten him to, to express these past events, this, this but, thing that happened. But Wesley's an employee. Yeah, a and, more and than he's, that. he's a close associate and he's friendly, but there's no real reason for him to have Wilson's secrets. It, no real reason for him to ever make this promise. You know, I'll always tell you the truth. Mm. And even the interactions that you see with Wesley and Wilson in this episode, you know, he made the comment, you know, it's his assistant who's kind of his friend, but he clearly doesn't know how to interact with a friend. To but, the same extent that Wesley does. Wesley sees someone that he feels is a friend in need and seeks a solution. But even there, he's still somewhat docile. And and Wilson is definitely the 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 dominant male in the room. Yeah, I, I go and, on and a limb, it gives though. me the sense I don't know if if Wilson has ever had the gift of a friend. I go out on a limb and say that Wesley is the closest thing that Wilson has had perhaps in his entire life at least since the event from our flashbacks here the closest thing he's had to a real friend because here's what wesley does for him wesley is a confidant he's not getting all the secrets but he knows more than anyone else about what wilson has planned he ha he knows more than anyone else about what wilson wants to is willing to do to get the plan accomplished and he is going to help Wilson get, you know, do the plan. I would love to see some of the backstory of how they came together and, and created the bond that they do have. But looking at Wesley, I see someone who, if, if you're not going to call him a friend, uh, I don't know what else I would call him, but this is a man who goes out on a limb he risks a lot going and bringing her in. That was a risk, but it was a calculated risk because it was what Wilson needed. And this is him going beyond the, I'm going to do what you ask me to do and going into a, I am going to do what needs to be done for you, whether you want me to or not. And Wilson says, if I want something or no, he says, if I need something, I'll ask you for it. And his reply is something like, well, that's not always true. Basically, it's not true now. So it, Wilson has two relationships in this episode that we get to see that he doesn't deserve. But that's what all friendships are. We don't deserve the friends we have. Because, you know. We're not good people, you know, we're, we, we, but, the relationship, especially like my, I look at my wife. I don't deserve my wife. I don't deserve her, but she's but, in my life and she makes my life better and makes me better. But there you are, the relationships he needs. And maybe if he had had them at different parts in his life, he would have been a different person. Oh, he absolutely would have been. And this is what strikes me the most and why I love this episode, episode so much. 
this Wilson Fisk is extremely damaged. Extremely. Yes, he is confident. Yes, he is strong. Yes, he is a criminal mastermind. But he is extremely emotionally damaged. Now, do you get that sense from John Rice Davies? <laughs> yeah, I'm, You're I going mean, there? I serious mean, can be. Really, serious no, can be. no. We don't get anything from him other than he's the bad guy. Okay. How about Michael Clark Duncan? No, no. I, I don't really remember that much about that anyway. But he, he's the big foreboding physical villain, but he's not anything like this. No emotion. Now you can both you can say in those circumstances they had a hundred they have ninety minutes to so 120 minutes. There's not enough time to build this up. You can and also I mean, say we can, it's not the story they were trying to tell. Yeah. Whereas with this, with Daredevil, we're looking at a beyond being even MCU'd, we're looking at, you know, psychological thriller almost. We're looking at these character studies and we're looking at this, you know, corrupt system that that Kingpin is a part of. And this is a 13 hour series. Yeah, that changes the dynamic, but it's also what is the story they're trying to tell and they're wanting to tell a a mature uh, sophisticated interpretation of what a bad guy what's behind what the bad guy wants to do what's behind his being a bad guy well and you've said this before ben you keep saying bad guy but to steal from you the bad villain never thinks they're the villain absolutely not and he's and, and, definitely if you're going to take that that angle you're talking about this is the single best mcu version of the negative protagonist or the anti-protagonist instead of rather than having him be the antagonist to the daredevil he is the protagonist of his story absolutely 100 percent. i call him a bad guy because it's easy shorthand to who's the evil side of the equation that we have here with the hero and the villain but no there's there's a more sophisticated thing going on here with what they're doing with this character and do you see what I mean by by saying sympathetic? Now, again, in the comic books, there's times where he's been on the side of the good guys. And there's times where I think that as a husband and a parent, I can understand some of his motivations. Because sometimes in the comics, things like Vanessa are used as a key to get him to do evil things. But here, especially when we get into the backstory and you begin to see his uncomfort, even around someone that he loves in Vanessa, I begin to feel sympathetic for him in a way I've, I could never feel for the Red Skull in a way I could never feel for Crossbones. You know what I mean? This is, I am, you, you say, maybe I'd feel this way about Bucky as Winter Soldier. You say uh, you, you could never feel. You could feel it if they were to take you where they took us here. If we were to see Red Skull uh, to, to be being frank, indoctrinated, to, to indoctrinated. Be frank, it would be impossible to do with Red Skull. He's a Nazi with racist ideology. I can't oh, but, go there. Well, but I wonder if you could, if they actually showed the indoctrination, if they actually took you on that journey of this is an evil man who was raised by evil people. And because that's what happens here with Kingpin. I mean, Kingpin 
becomes his father and then spent in that moment and then spends the rest of his life. And this is what makes him different from Red Skull, though, Daniel, uh, is he spends the rest of his life trying to overcome. I am not my father, whereas Red Skull embraces and embraces the evil of you know being a nazi and of course ironically when attempting to not be his father he becomes his father he absolutely becomes his father you know i am not a monster like my father you are sir you killed a man with an suv and not while it was running someone over which is monstrous enough if you're doing that on purpose but yeah no he he's and here's the other thing you know what's his father trying to do his father is trying to be the big man his father is going after political power because and what what's he going to do with that power? Well, he's going to make his family's life better. And what is Kingpin doing? He is going after criminal political power, but political power. He, he's not just going after it. He has it. He has his attained pocket. the thing that his father could not. And what? why is he doing it? What reason does he have for doing it? Well, it's to make his world better, but in in the the shape that he wants it to be. And he not only and this is where I say, yeah, he he became his father in that moment, but then spends the rest of his life overcoming and overachieving a, a, when compared to his father, because his dad. Man, it's it's Rigoletti or whatever. Uh, we've we've heard his name before. Uh, that his dad owed money to, and his dad he failed. He failed. He was a loser because of the way he was going about things and the way he was treating his family. But that well, that, and he and he taught the lessons. You know, he taught the lesson, and Wilson learned it. Kick them while they're down. And keep kicking. And so what did he do with that door? You know, I mean. Kept kicking. That's. We are still seeing in Kingpin. We are still seeing the effects of that childhood. And and here's the other cool thing. Is you see this with Matt as well. Uh, now, in Matt's case. Uh, you have Stick. Who's that borderline abusive. Maybe not even borderline abusive. Um parent figure to Matt to get him to keep going, get back up, keep fighting, you know, and, and then he's, he's got that mentality from his own father. You keep getting back up. You keep getting back up. You keep getting back up. And with, with Kingpin, it's, you keep kicking them down. You keep kicking them down. You keep kicking them down. And yeah. And so there's a lot of duality between Matt and Wilson. There's a lot. Right down to father making him drink alcohol. Uh, with Matt and with, with Wilson, they both had that happen. And we, we get to Forgot see that about event. That. Totally. Yeah. Now, it's two different reasons, though. In, in Matt's case, I want you to steady your nerves and, and not be shaking while you're sewing me up. And in Wilson's case... It's his dad. Yeah, he's a man. What? It's funny seeing him you know, make himself sick right now. It's funny. It's funny. I like to torment children. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, you have father figures instilling very different values, but then you also have definite abusive relationships with a father figure in both of them. And I, I'm really, if, in case you haven't figured this out yet, uh, I'm really enjoying the, I don't want to use the word sophisticated so much, but I'm just going to use the, I'm enjoying the sophisticated storytelling that we're getting here. I'm enjoying this mirror image that we get of Matt and Wilson and that we get to see, but that Matt and Wilson will never really know. They're going to pay lip service to it. They're going to talk about you and I, where we both want the same thing. We both, but there is a definite mirror imaging here between our hero, our protagonist and our villain, our antagonist. And, and you're right. They're both broken. They've both been broken by mentors. They've both been abused. They both have similar goals. And and they do do a good job. I mean, the first time we see Matt, we see Matt waking up too yep. in this episode. Same thing. I mean, he wakes up. And he doesn't just wake up, Daniel. He wakes up alone. And, and this is... In darkness. And it's fair to say, a sophisticated story. I give you permission to say that this is a sophisticated story. Yeah, but I've already said it like eight times. So, But it's true... Yeah, I may not have believed you at other times, you know, and sometimes I just nod my head when you say things like, you know, the MCU doesn't need the Fantastic Four. I just nod my head and listen. Don't really give an opinion. I have a good reason for saying that. But in this case, I totally am behind you. This is totally sophisticated. This is one of the smartest things I've ever seen the MCU do. The MCU has been a lot of fun. There's times you can say it's not been smart. This is smart. And part of his venue. I mean, this is a Netflix drama. And so it's definitely falling into line behind other Netflix dramas. The difference is with other Netflix dramas, I I find myself getting weary. I, I find myself getting almost oppressed by, you know, like House of Cards. Um or the the one with the the guy and the family in <laughs> the Everglades. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. And and there's one, there's a couple actually that I I've just said, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother anymore. But with this, we have enough different things going on, and we have enough characters who have you know legitimate stories and interesting stories. I'm I'm along for the ride. This is not uh, I shouldn't say this is not. This is a superhero story. Yes. But it definitely falls into that category of it's a crime drama with superheroes thrown in. Uh, along the lines of what why when people were really raving uh, about The Dark Knight because it was a crime movie first and then the main characters in the crime movie uh, had you know a costume and you know a big giant batmobile tank thing so and and this this goes in that direction as well it's crime drama first so you want to continue talking about the i mean the details here of the of our flashback with with wilson we're kind of taking things out of order anyway we might as well (laughs) <laughs> well, and I don't want to talk forever. <laughs> At a certain point, we may have to say, you saw it. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I mean, I, we could give a thumbnail to it, which is, you know, dad in the past was running for city council, didn't make it, had taken out a loan with what we assume is a loan shark, um, which is important. And then someone makes fun of him for losing and calls him a loser. He teaches Wilson to hit and to beat. And then I think the most important part at this point is we discover that dad beats everyone in his life, including his wife and kids. And and we see him, he wants he wants Wilson to be a man, so he stares him in front of a cracked white wall and tells him to think about who he wants to be. And then proceeds to be the most horrible of husbands. And then he beats horribly his wife while his son is sitting right there. So, I mean, he's physically abusing his wife, but he is also abusing his son in doing so by forcing him to to hear it and listen to it. And what's the man you want to be? Not you, but in order to stop you, I have to be you. And when you think about it, Wilson's mom, you know, he's an awkward kid. Mom's probably the only one who showed him any compassion, any love. And so at least one thing he's decided he's going to be is a protector of her. And when he pulls that hammer and dad says, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> he turns back around and Wilson does it with him. I think we all kind of have the same look of shock that dad had. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm looking in I'm, – I'm <laughs> – in my mind and in in my notes, I actually wrote it down, but I'm, I'm just got the cats in the cradle song kind of playing in my head as I'm watching that, you know, my boy was just like me and the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Uh, I'm that's, that's going through my brain. And basically Wilson's father, that's the other thing. Did you notice his father's name was Bill or William? And who is Wilson? He's Will's son. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is he? From a Viking? But I mean, very, very striking. You know what? And what else is striking? How quickly mom goes to dispose of the body. Mom is a not an idiot. I mean, she's staying with this man, but I, I think she feels like she's completely trapped with him. But as soon as this happens, she goes into protect my son mode. And what does she need to do to protect her son? Get rid of the body. Get rid of the evidence. And, of course, coming back, you know, Chekhov's uh, alibi. They can use the fact that dad had the loan shark loan. Yeah. Very, town. very easy to believe that this man could disappear from skipping town. And no killed. one looks for him. And no one thinks twice about looking for him because he's a nobody. I mean, he, when I say he's a nobody, he is exactly what he thought he was because, uh, partly because he thought he was, but he, he had nothing. He was trying to get something and take it, you know, game the system, get political power, get a house, and it completely failed. No sympathy for him. No sympathy for him. No. And yet we're having sympathy for the man who cut off a man's head with a door. Gosh, 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 gosh. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. And then you you feel the, the plight of mom 
we we do know from what something things that he told Vanessa, mom tried to heal him. When I hear sent me to a farm, what I hear is mom at this point attempted to get him away from the circumstances, get him away from the setting, give him a fresh start. Yeah. Well, away and, and, from the environment, away from the memories of killing his own father. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then well, I'm left with the question, how does he go from the farm to Asia? <laughs> Which, I yeah. again, I don't know if we'll ever get that answered. Except we are getting a season two. Yep. So. And, and I do think we do need to re- reflect real briefly on Wilson in the present day, you know. You, you mentioned the second time he gets woken up. It's it's Madame Gao. Um, it makes him angry. His friend Wesley brings Vanessa into it. Um, wow, we talked about a lot of this, didn't we? Yeah, but why is Madame Gao here? She's there to confront him. She's there to tell him, you've got problems. You've got you've gotten sloppy. You've gotten emotional. Um, this is and- where... And does she hint at who she is? I mean, it's revealed that she, she knows English and things. that Wilson knows uh, Japanese and Chinese. And she but, knows that he knows Japanese and Chinese. But then he asks her, how many languages do you know? And what's her answer? All of them. <laughs> but she even, she even says, you know, they talk, how did you know? And she's like, what do you think I did? Did, uh, you know... Divine spell, moonlight, yeah, yeah, you know, and she's going through these magical things, and at a certain point, you're like, "Did you? <laughs> yeah, I, did you do that? I'm, I'm, you I'm crazy very woman. curious about her. Although, at this point in time, I don't know that she's someone to really watch. You know, we've got all these." different parties and so we have madame gao's party we have nobu's party we have the russians who are now gone and destroyed we have owsley and we have fisk and madame gao obviously has a a level of of sway and of power but so do nobu and the japanese you know they're not happy with the way things have turned out with the russians and they're not happy with the way things turned out with black sun is that what it was Yep, yeah, the black, black sun. sun is dead. They're very hard to come upon. They're they're extremely rare. <laughs> That's the. I uh I've been collecting suns, and I got a yellow sun and a red sun. Easy to find, common, but a black sun. Yeah, I, you ha- you know how many suns I have to open up to even see one of those. But yeah, it's it's rare, and it's been lost. And there's who's to blame? You or me? And again, this is Wilson. He's in a situation where he is not completely in control because the Japanese gang, the Yakuza, have sway over him. And and then the other thing that's out of his control is Blake is waking up. And he could talk. Now, he's not talking yet, but he's waking up. So what are they going to do? Well... Best thing you can do is just put him out of commission. But how do you get to him, Ben? Well, you need someone on the inside who's not going to look out of place, let's say, going to the bedside of a cop who's in a hospital. 
And who has guards at his door. Yeah. So maybe you send in another cop who actually knows one of the cops at the door. And this too, this is another, this is a horrifying conversation. Hoffman has known Blake since before the police academy. They're probably some of the dearest, closest friends. You know they have each other's deepest secrets because they both know that they're dirty. And at a certain point, Hoffman's kind of like, you know, 35 years. And when Kingpin says, how much in round figures is each one of those years worth to you? You're like, oh, he started adding. And then he gave a number. He's doing it. (laughs) He's doing it. Ben, I don't have a round number for our years of friendship. <laughs> Do you have one for me? Well, Should yeah, I be worried I, about I your mean, sandwiches? I mean, no, uh, no, no, of course not. Of course not. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, it, it's, it is horrifying. It, it is. And it, it's, again, sophisticated. It's drama. And it's the intensity of this episode doesn't come from the choreographed fight scenes it comes from moments like this where you know Hoffman cannot do what they want him to do possibly get killed or do what they want him to do and get rich there's a price tag on friendship yeah this is horrifying so he's sent in to come face to face with his best friend and kill him. And he does it. But here's the twist. I wasn't expecting daredevils in the room pops out, puts him in a chokehold. Hoffman goes down and daredevil tries to get information from Blake, but Blake's flatlining and people need to get inside. And, <sighs> Things are, uh, it's just and bad, he can't be bad saved. timing. Yeah. But he does give Daredevil information. Whew. So then we, we go from, from that to uh, the only other Daredevil scene in, in, this, in the show. And not, I mean, there's other Matt stuff, but him in costume is him talking to Ben, Ben Urich. Rousing him up, giving him a call to action, which Ben Yurk doesn't want to take, but eventually he does. And well, and the painful irony is, you know, the other Matt stuff is, you know, him really interacting with Foggy and Karen and convincing them, you know, we have to use the law. We have to do this the right way. No more skulking. And when he's got this information, what does he do? He skulks. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. He's trained. He's trained. He knows what he's doing. He's a he's a professional. He's a professional skulker. Yeah. And the other thing I found interesting with that that duology here, that that dichotomy, is you now have Matt with Foggy and Karen. That's our our trilogy, not trilogy. That's our our our, our three here, anyway, though. And then you have uh, Wilson with Vanessa and Wesley and have that threesome of friends and, and of. Though, to be fair, at the press conference, there is four. That's true. 
You do. Because Owsley is there too. Vanessa, FYI, still wearing the white dress. Well, you know, he couldn't send somebody out to get anyone. He doesn't have extra clothes in his uh, you know place, and he he didn't have time to to call in for someone. No, to go he had and, time. He didn't have time. He wanted to get out there right now. Make that speech now. We wrote it now. Let's give it now. Why wait? Yeah, because Vanessa again has convinced him. At the wrong time for Matt, it's time for you to come out into the light. And it's almost check and checkmate because of the fact that, you know, Matt was going to ruin him by bringing him out and, and telling the world who he is before he have even has a chance. Before the brilliantly written piece by Ben can be put out to the public. I mean, the words in this are so well thought out. Good job, writing staff. Before it can even come out, it's all ruined because Wilson exposes himself. And what does Matt do? Not in the way you're do? thinking. <laughs> and what does Matt do? He, he comes close. Stuff. He comes close to flipping a table. <clears throat> I mean, this is this is that two sides of the same point. This is the episode where you see it more than any we've had up until this point. And because we had stick. We, we had the episode stick to give us this stuff about Matt. Now we can look at Wilson and quality judgments aside for which one is better than the other. You definitely are able to see these guys come from different places, but they have also made different choices and they also had different choices made for them. But Wilson has been blinded. And is in darkness. Metaphorically. Whereas Matt has been blinded. You know, literally. And, and physically. I'm trying to think if there's anything else then that we've. We've. Uh, we've missed. And I think really the only other thing. Going on here. Is. Is the Karen and Foggy stuff. Um, and then there was the. The MCUing of Owlman. Where he's standing there. I love that that you know they found a way for him to look like an owl for just a, a few moments, but the way he has to stand there to get uh fitted for the suit that's going to save his life, uh, because it's got all these other chemicals on it and stuff that we'll, we'll be seeing later on. But you know, he's standing there and he's looking a little bit a little owl-like you know, with his arms outspread, and and we get to see those other elements in the the workshop there. Of of whirlwind and gladiator, I don't, uh, maybe it's not whirlwind. Maybe it's dude. This isn't the Clash of the Titans. Just maybe this isn't Clash of the Titans. He's not a mechanical owl. Yeah, I wish, man. That was, by the way, the stupidest thing about the re the reboot was when they take the mechanical owl out of a pile of junk and just toss it. Totally agree. Wow, is that our first? We've got 109 episodes before we had a Clash of the Titans reference. I'm pretty sure you're right that this is. I'm ashamed. Place. Don't be ashamed. ashamed. It took Don't us this long. Don't be ashamed. We've talked plenty of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I'm I'm happy. I'm happy right where we are. Okay. I'm happy. Uh, I am happy because this is a gift. This episode is a gift to me. It's so good. It's just so good, Ben. It is. It's a good episode. It's a good episode, a well-written episode, a well-crafted episode. 
I'm going to say this, and I'm not going to go out on a limb when I say this, but this is my true opinion. Once I got to this episode, and maybe this episode itself, is the best Daredevil I have seen in any media. Yeah, and how much was Daredevil actually in it? And what did exactly. he actually do? Not a lot. Now, to be fair, I'm not a huge Daredevil fan. And here's This the is other, the best Daredevil depiction I've ever seen. Here's the other thing to be fair about, is that this, these are ground-laying episodes. These are foundational episodes where we get to see the background. So we see the characters in action, then we see some of their background, and then we see where are they going. So when you say this is great, great stuff, this is stuff that they're going to use to build on now as we move forward. So even if the other episodes are great, a lot of the greatness of the f- episodes to follow really lies on this episode and stick. Well, and I'm going to be blunt. It'll be hard for any episode after this to top this one. But Very, very difficult for me. But unlike a lot of series television, it doesn't need to be. Because we have this one and it elevates, I believe it elevates what came before and it elevates what's coming after by giving us this great, great, great backstory. And it's one unit, even though it is slightly episodic, it's one unit. So, yeah, I mean, not you, you give this four or five Billy Clubs, it's not, you know, it doesn't give the whole series that, that same rating, but. Man, yeah, episode eight here. We're on the back half, and this is when they give us this episode. It's perfect, perfect timing, and and perfect cap to what we've had, and a perfect launching point to go forward. So, I'm with you, man. You ready for someone else's opinion about this, and then we'll give our final verdict. Absolutely. All right. Witness testimony. You just got something from Agent Evan. You want to read it or you want me to? I would prefer you do because, as you know, I played lacrosse tonight <laughs> and my voice is a little off. Well, let's go for it then. Uh, subject, Daredevil Episode 8, Shadows in the Glass. Hey, guys, Agent Evan here. So, Kingpin wears basically the same thing every day. His closet is how I imagine Mickey Mouse's closet. Nothing but hundreds of red pants, yellow shoes, and white gloves. I like that the legal team is now on the same page about the investigation. I didn't like the idea of having Foggy and Karen do their own investigation while Matt is basically doing the same thing elsewhere. I don't know. I feel like that type of story arc is old and worn out. I'm really glad they didn't draw that out for very long. When we reached our first Kingpin flashback, I was struck by how authentic the period piece seemed. I thought the props and wardrobe were spot on. Well done. I'll stop here for a moment. Uh, The music also just set that groove set that tone and yeah that that is a striking scene when we're going down that that hot street have we seen a flashback this good since godfather 2 well i haven't seen godfather 2 so i can't tell you you're missing out i know i know i'm missing out and i don't want to miss out but i'm hey come on over we'll watch it yeah we can maybe do that next year sometime um (laughs) <laughs> oh, and back to the Foggy and Karen. I do like how quickly that just happened. You know, Karen's just, here's what we're doing, Matt. Here's what we're doing. And Matt's like, go. Oh, yeah, okay. 
Uh, back to the email. Speaking of Kingpin flashbacks, this seems like the perfect time to reiterate how I probably won't be revisiting this series. We know to expect graphic violence, but now we are entering the realm of spouse and child abuse along with patricide. I mean, we have some general child scarring material here in this episode, and I'm not just talking about little Willie Fisk. This is the sort of thing where if a child in your home is flipping through Netflix and stumbles onto this particular scene, I mean, it's an innocence killer. It's a nightmare factory. Do I like that they're making Wilson Fisk a three-dimensional character? Yes. But at least for me, the ends do not justify the means. I really wish they would have just let him tell us the story in dialogue instead of a full dramatization. On a lighter note, does anyone out there know about that crazy Braille computer Matt was using? Is that a real thing? How does it work? It looked cool. And my last note, I really like the scene where the Chinese lady makes the comment, it's the clever man who plays the fool. That is a profound statement, and it really sums up a lot of what we're seeing from the Kingpin. At first, I was hesitant to warm up to this version of Wilson Fisk because he seemed far more emotional and insecure than what I'm used to in the comics. And yet, and yes, those are traits he genuinely exudes. This whole scene shows us that there's far more going on underneath the surface that not even his own right-hand man knows about. All right, you guys. Stay frosty. Agent Evan out. It's uh, it's the clever man who plays the fool and the foolish woman who doesn't notice. And that cracks me up because one of the things that I do in my own career is I often play the fool in places that I'm really not. <laughs> and I, I can tell you, I recently had a meeting <clears throat> where there was a lot of arguing going on. And eventually I said something along the lines of, hey. Can we just slow this down? I'm just a poor, silly Iowa farm boy. Can we use simple words? Because it seems to me, and then explained it from my perspective in very simple answers. And you know what we get? Very simple words. You know where we got? To a solution. Because <laughs> sometimes playing dumb is a good technique. Sometimes. 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 You can't do it all the time because you'll lose respect. And you got to give it if you want it regarding respect. Oh, man. Such a good line and true. It and is, but then true. it's applied so horribly. Exactly. Like this show is, is so good. Tr- it's a true statement. You're right. This show is so good about putting true things into people's mouths and then have it used incorrectly. Or at least very, very poorly. <laughs> man. Okay, well, um, that's that's our one email about this episode, and and as usual, um, you know, we do want to hear from you about Daredevil, and we're and when we say you, we mean you. We do. I mean you exactly. You, yeah, with your earphones in there, who's sitting? You know there, who you are, listening to that speaker in your car or whatever. Um, and we want to hear from you about what you're thinking about the Daredevil series and um, just in general. You know, if you don't want to go back and rewatch the episodes, just let us know in general and maybe we'll save that for the final episode or something. But um, yeah, so from there, I guess we have no place to go other than. Final verdict. How many Billy Clubs do you give this episode? Shadows in the glass. Out of five, Daniel. Out of well, 
Well, Ben, it's been a real hot mess about this episode. This is the one that I kept saying was my five-star episode. The one yeah. I kept hinting about. And then last week I ruined everything by giving Stick five stars. Completely threw off my system and my, my grading and my evaluation. So I'm here to say that I give this episode six billy clubs. You can't do six billy clubs. I can do whatever I want. You can't do six I'm billy. co-owner around here. You, I can give six billy clubs. That just breaks all the rules. I'm a rule breaker. You just you can't give better than an A+. Plus. You, you, you can give you've better given this, than an A+. Plus. You've given this more than 100%, and there is only 100% to give. I believe that in this day and age, there are grades that are above 100%. Great inflation, that's, buddy. That's uh, I've seen GPAs that are above four. That's foolheartedly provocative, Daniel. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Ben. You can either poke at my my evaluation, or you could have just ignored it and moved on and treated me like the crazy man that I am. Yeah, but I always engage with crazy. Oh, never a good idea. It's it's a problem. It's a problem. It'll get you some places you don't want to go, and pretty soon people think you're crazy if you're talking with crazy. It's true. It's true. You can't out-donkey a donkey. <laughs> okay. We're a clean show, buddy. Got to phrase it like Oh, that. okay. I thought you were actually like saying a real thing. No. 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 That wasn't you, what we're doing. D- decode it. Decode it. Donkeys. Don Quixote. First. Maybe do it later. First ever novel length narrative. It's not. Uh, yeah, totally do this at a different time. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and I'm giving it five. I'm just going to casually give it five. You know? <laughs> wow. Just casually. Eh, it's just five. You know, I, I give it five and it's not even a special thing because, like I said, it's just maintaining quality. It's yeah, maintaining quality. And for me, quality. it's special. Well, and and again, if I was to say anything about it, if you were to give me closing words, I feel as if this episode is a gift because it shows you how incredibly smart the MCU can be and is at times. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's all I got. That's all you got. You got anything? I, I don't have much, Daniel. A lot of what I had has been spoken about. And I'm I'm just going to leave it at we have a really, 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 really strong episode here. And I just used way too many reallys. So from there, Daniel, (laughs) I don't know what to say, man. I used everything. We used everything. So I'm just going to have to go with, oh, where is that? Yeah, that's simple, simple thing. Um, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm looking through because I, I want to find. I, I want to find the best to end on, but I, I don't want to show weakness. I, I, I don't want you to think I don't have anything prepared. I don't want our listeners to think I'm not clever. Uh, I, I'm afraid of what you'd think of me if you knew.
Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard us, now we'd love to hear from you. Go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback where you can contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the lively conversation going on at facebook.com slash welcome to level 7 or connect with us on Twitter where we're level 7 pod. And remember, the 7 is spelled out. Our theme music is The Light Fantastic by J.S. Earls. You can find that at transplant.bandcamp.com. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Once again, thanks for listening. And remember, welcome to Level 7. It's not just a podcast. It's a magical place. Hey, Daniel. Yeah. We had a question come up on Facebook, and I didn't want to bring it up in the feedback for this episode because it's not Daredevil related. Um, but the question was, uh, a lot of people say that the movie is only as good as a villain. And they wanted to know, we didn't talk much about the villain in Fantastic Four. The, the villain, yeah, hoodie. Uh, the villain being um, the, the military scientist guy, or um, I, I mean, Doom's there for like twenty minutes. Well, here's the thing, you know, I, I do think that there is there are some things that could be said about the villain in Fantastic Four. Uh, since this is not the Fantastic Four episode, we are. I don't want to spoil too much, other than to say, at the beginning, he is. As we get in the classic stories and in the ultimate stories from what I understand, um, Doom is friends with Reed, becomes grudging friends with Reed, but actually starts out as a colleague of Franklin and, and, and then a seemingly a, a love interest in the past for, for Sue. Um, and then he disappears uh halfway through so he's he's he comes in in act two halfway through act two he's gone he just disappears and then when he returns there's not a lot of good motivation there's powers that are exhibited that we talked a little bit about the horror aspect of things there in that but um Dude, I'm so tired of talking about the Fantastic Four. His motivation is in I mean his motivation is on the cutting room floor. And True. so is is he a good villain for this movie? He's the perfect villain for this movie because it, 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 there's no, no explanation, it just happens because it happens and then you know, boom, bang, we're at the end of the movie. Dude. So we're talking about the Fantastic Four. I'm not even listening to you because I'm staring at an image of the flash of two worlds. Did you see this? No. CW season two of the flash. They're doing flash of two worlds. No way. And they put out an image today and it's got the guy they've cast as Jay Garrick and they've got their, the Grant Gustin flash. And it is, a riff on the comic cover of the Gardner Fox cover. Hmm. You know, I, I wish maybe then that they would have saved, uh, cause what is the, oh, what's his name? The guy who played the flash in the original series, his dad, a ship. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley, Wesley ship, right? Mm hmm. 
I wish they would have saved him for this. That would have been really cool. That would have been cool. But you know, you never knew if you're going to get a second season. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they wanted to use him. The ship, I mean, they wanted to get him in. But And, and, and you, uh, you got to give the Flash credit for this. And I know you haven't seen it yet. But they've done some really smart things. They brought back Ship's love interest as a character that reoccurs. They brought back Mark Hamill. And Mark Hamill is a delight in his role on the episode, in the episode he's in. And now I'm serious. I'm looking. If you want to talk about how Deadpool's winning in, in the movie PR, I would say that this flash image that I'm looking at, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., pay attention to this sort of thing. They are doing this sort of it, thing, though. No, what yeah. they did, they gave us a, sh- a shield symbol that said Secret Warriors in it. This. Oh, you're this talking about for teasing. Because they yeah. gave us, they gave us, what, 13 different covers that you're collecting right now? Yeah. One of which I think is super awesomely iconic for the, the that comic book cover that they did that takes us back to, you know, the old... EC horror comics and that kind of thing, or the even the Marvel horror comics. And um, I'm just saying, I don't give the CW a lot of credit. I give them credit on this. Well, I'm not sure how much credit to give the CW on promotional materials, but I will say that with with what I'm seeing from the Flash, from what I'm, uh, and I'm not watching it right now, but the stuff I've seen that they are doing. It seems to be like a comic lover's dream. Well, and you're just waiting for it to be stream accessible, correct? Yep. Yeah. It might be, actually. And I just haven't gotten around to it. But um, but know, I'll admit, I still got two to go. But I, I'll, I'll be watching it. I don't know if I'll be watching it this summer like I planned, but this summer has been really, really busy. And Daredevil has made it not less busy. Let's put it that way. So. Well, welcome to level seven. No, um, I was going to say employed <laughs> with benefits. <laughs> yeah. Well, the freelance life was good, um, but it is nice to be able to take my kids to the dentist. So. Yeah. Okay. We're like agents of two worlds. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Later. Our next episode is going to be a comic episode. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the comic book, and we're going to talk about... I wonder how I feel about those. Oh, uh, Hydra. Hail Hydra. We're we're talking about that, right? I think we were planning to talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think think it's official then. We'll, We'll make it official right now. Hail Hydra.